Do our Bibles leave out important writings about Jesus? Why are some books included in the New Testament and others aren't? What is the Gospel of Thomas? What is Gnosticism and the Gnostic Gospels? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran with Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. And in our lesson today, we're going to answer these questions and more. And the title of our lesson is, How We Got the New Testament, Part 2. Why the Gnostic Gospels aren't part of it, and implications for you today. A primary criticism that some people have of the New Testament is that Christians intentionally left out or suppressed certain writings, primarily what we call the Gnostic Gospels, and that they should be part of our New Testament, and they aren't. We need to take these challenges seriously because our New Testament contains both how to be saved and how to live our lives after we accept Jesus as Savior, how to live in ways that are pleasing to Him. But there are alternative voices, other ways that people say salvation is possible, and other ways to live a so-called spiritual life. The Gnostic Gospels are what we're going to look at because it isn't just scholars who are influenced by them. Let me give you a quote by a very popular person and then I'll tell you who said it. It seems to me that the only, I'm quoting here, it seems to me that the only true Christians were the Gnostics who believed in self-knowledge. In other words, becoming Christ themselves, reaching the Christ within, the light is the truth. Turn on the light. Who said it? Would you believe John Lennon? The idea of God within you without Jesus is a very popular thought today. And whether these books are part of the New Testament or not, again, isn't just a matter of scholarly trivia, but one that has immensely important consequences to individual lives. A cautionary passage that deals with this whole idea and the implications of it is Matthew 7, 20. 15 through 24. Now most people when they look at this passage they just go to the middle part of it where it says not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but those who do the will of my father in heaven and this is you know a really scary passage where people say well you know what does that mean and 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 you know does that mean that we can think we're saved and we're not what you need to do is you need to read it in context and the whole context of this passage really has a lot to say to us on why we need to know what the true Word of God is. So let me read you the passage in context and then I will comment on what it means and how it applies to our lesson today. Hang in there with me on this because this is this is really important. Okay, <clears throat> starting out with the passage. Watch out for false prophets. Jesus is speaking here. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father 
who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, here's what we see from this passage. There are false prophets out there, and we should be able to identify them by their fruits, by the results of their life. Now, Jesus goes on to say what fruit comes from a false prophet, and that is thinking that big bragging ideas, miracles even, all these sort of esoteric, special, fantastic things, that that's what makes you a Christian. And Jesus clearly says that it isn't. It is knowing him that makes you a Christian, that makes an eternal saving relationship. And how do we do that? Again, the answer is right here in this passage, and it is very simple. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The point here is we need to listen to what Jesus has to say and put it into practice. Your eternity depends on it as well as your peace of mind and satisfaction for the life that you're living now. This is the reason we're doing this lesson. This is the key thought. You need to know what the Bible says. And you need to know what is truly in the Bible and what isn't. And once you determine that, then you need to obey it. That includes not adding false teachings to it, making certain that we have the right manuscripts that are from God. That is why what we're studying in this whole series on why we can trust the Bible is so important because we need to be assured that we have the correct text about Jesus. We've been studying the history of them and our next lesson will be on canonicity, being sure that we have the correct books in our Bibles. In this lesson, we're going to look at why certain ones are not in our Bibles, even though you will find on the internet and uh, social media and all kinds of things things why they should be, but they shouldn't be, and we're going to go into detail why not. Now here's the plan for this lesson. First of all, we're going to review the foundation for it, why we have the basic documents that we have in our New Testament. Second, I'm going to give you a brief summary of Gnosticism. Basically, and I'll just give you a preview of it right here. Basically, it's the idea that special knowledge is required for salvation. Scientology is actually a contemporary example of this, as well as a lot of popular sayings and images. But this whole idea that it's special knowledge that you need to know about yourself, about quote-unquote spiritual things, that that's what you need to achieve salvation or enlightenment or, or whatever. Next, we're, third, we're going to talk about how the Gnostic Gospels were found, and we're going to evaluate them in the same way that we evaluated previous texts.
We're going to actually look at them. I have some excerpts for you. And you have more lengthy copies of excerpts from them in your notes. And then we're going to, of course, talk about how to apply what we've learned. Now, in our last lesson, we established the historical reliability of the New Testament documents, that they can be relied on to give us a true history of who Jesus was and what he did. I had a very useful chart for you, again, that is in your notes that sums up how many documents we have, the length of time between the, when they were created, when we actually have physical fragments, and it shows us that we have thousands and thousands of documents that we can look at. We established the New Testament reliability not only from the very early dating of the manuscripts, but from eyewitness accounts, the accounts of those who were not Christians, historians, politicians, and critics who wrote at the same time and shortly after Jesus' life on earth. If you haven't listened to or watched that lesson, please go back and listen to or watch it. And again, we learned that the manuscript evidence was not only just a few fragments here or there, but thousands of them. When this chart was put together, we had 55,366 original language fragments, complete books of New Testament documents, and over 15,000 early translations of them. Now, the conclusion of the lesson is that based on irrefutable manuscript and historical evidence, our New Testament documents prove to us that Jesus lived, did the miracles written about him, died, rose again, and offers eternal salvation to those who trust him as Savior. We then ask, well... The Gnostic Gospels, you hear about them, they also talk about Jesus. Why aren't they included? Well, we're going to look at them and see how different they are, both in their textual history and their content. Now, what are they? Primarily, they are two groups of mostly rather poorly preserved fragments of manuscripts that were discovered during the late 19th and early 20th centuries by archaeologists at two locations, Oxyrhynchus and Nag Hammadi, both in Egypt. The manuscripts themselves date from about the 1st to the 6th century AD. Now, these are the only places they were found. They were not copied and shared and widely distributed as the other New Testament documents were. Only one to four, and only one of them, the Gospel of Thomas, has four copies of them. But on the, with the majority of them, we only have one copy of each separate work. There are various topics. Some of the manuscripts, though, do tell a very different story about a very different Jesus. They laid the foundation, though, even this, this very fragmentary, this very, in many ways, poor documentary evidence laid the foundation for some very liberal scholars and popular culture to just take it and run with it. Elaine Pagels wrote a book called The Gnostic Gospels. And now, by the way, this term, the Gospels, that is not what they were given in the original text. That's what popularized authors uh, came up with. But she she subtitled her book, Long Buried and Suppressed. The Gnostic Gospels contain the secret writings attributed to the followers of Jesus. That is just simply not true. Um, these were just some fragmentary things that hadn't been found for a long time. They were never suppressed. Um, uh, 
church fathers knew about them. They wrote about them. They said they're basically untrue. So this whole conspiracy thing about them, that is just completely false. But it sounded so good. It's so sensational that after she wrote that, Dan Brown then took it and wrote the Da Vinci Code. And it really disturbed the faith of many. Even though he said, oh, this is a work of fiction, he wrote it as if it was fact and, and that, um, again, that the Christian church had suppressed all these things, the Gospel of Mary and the Gospel of Judas and the Gospel of Thomas. And a lot of people were shaken in their faith because they didn't really understand how our Bible came into being. That brought these manuscripts really into mainstream consciousness. Now, there's three main ones I've actually just mentioned them that we want to look at the gospel of mary the gospel of judas and the gospel of thomas now let's look at them historically first of all the gospel of thomas they discovered a coptic version of it that's an egyptian one um, with the complete text at nag hammadi and then they realized that they previously had three different greek fragments from oxyrhynchus and this Oh, is what makes up the Gospel of Thomas. Now, the manuscripts date from the 200s to about 340. We don't know who the author is of them. Next was the Gospel of Mary, and we want to look at it in the same way that we did the other documents. It was discovered in 1896 in a 5th century codex, so it's, it's rather late what we have. There are three fragments of it, and they're in very, very poor condition. When I read you some of the excerpts from it, the places that are left out and all of that, it's because that's what is what the manuscript is like. If you're looking at the video, you can see this is it's very poorly preserved. They do summarize though that it was written fairly early, 120 to 180 AD, which is still quite a bit later than our traditional gospels. And of course we do not know the author of it. The Gospel of Judas, oh they did made a really big deal about this with National Geographic. They also did a television special on it. And again, I'm showing you, if you see in the video, a copy of one of the fragments of it. Again, very, very poorly preserved. This comes from a leather-bound Coptic language papyrus. It was found in the, actually in the 1970s near what a uh, city called Beni Mazar in Egypt. There's only one manuscript of it. It was first translated in... 2006 and the codex contains text that appears though to be from the late second century and claims to be the story of Jesus death from the viewpoint of Judas. The Gospel of Judas was developed by a Gnostic sect in the second century and it was probably written between 130 to 170 AD obviously not by the real Judas of the Bible. Now when we compare the documentary evidence for the Gnostic Gospels and we contrast them with our New Testament. Again, I have a chart on the video. You can look at it in the notes. But with the New Testament, these documents were written between 50 to 100 AD. The Gnostic ones between 150 to 300 AD. And if you think about the dating, 50 years ago, I can still remember things that happened. And I can't remember. At the same time, I don't remember things that happened before America became a nation. And that's the difference in dating between when the early writers of our New Testament wrote 
And they wrote about events that actually happened within their lifetime as compared to the much later writing of the Gnostic Gospels, which would have been like if you're an American writing between the Civil War and before America became a nation. You see, there's just a big, big gap there. And also, too, because these weren't considered authentic lives of Jesus and really on any um in any way possible, and when we read them to you, you'll you'll see it even more, in any way equal to the original Gospels, the churches didn't copy them. They didn't pass them around. We only have from one to four copies of the documents compared to our traditional New Testament where we have, again, 5,366, and this was the last count. They keep finding new ones. Original language documents from very very early. The manuscript evidence isn't nearly as good for them, but what do they actually say? They are not at all like the four Gospels that we have in our Bible. They did not have that name Gospel early on. They were never listed with the traditional four Gospels, never grouped with them, never included, and then suppressed. Calling them Gospels are simply current and somewhat sensational names given to them. They do not tell the true story of Jesus, as our four Gospels do. They do not cover the true story of his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Instead, they're primarily Gnostic stories and sayings. Now, let's look at what that means. I know I keep using the word Gnostic, Gnostic Gospels, and all that, and you're probably thinking, what is she talking about? Now, I'm going to explain it to you, or try to prepare yourself for a headache, because they really don't make, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So what is Gnosticism? Gnosticism was a kind of Christian mysticism in the early centuries of Christianity. They got their name, the Gnostics got their name from the word gnosis, which means knowledge that they believed could be gained of spiritual realities beyond material existence. They believed that the, and they believed you needed this because the material world is subject to death and decay. And because of that, they believed that they couldn't worship the same God as Jews and Christians did. But they taught that the God of the Old Testament was simply a lesser being, a corrupt and ignorant being trying to imitate higher perfect beings who had created a higher, more perfect spiritual realm. And they gave different uh, names to the different realms, the Aeneons and the oh, all kinds of different things that they came up with. They said that humans were conflicted and disordered because they had both spiritual and material realities within themselves and through gnosis through this special understanding this sacred understanding that human beings could transcend the flawed material universe and ascend to a higher spiritual realm it then followed that a person needed a teacher or special writings or a group that would give them this special secret knowledge that they needed to be enlightened and to find the God within themselves. Now that secret or that special knowledge, that's what makes up the core belief of Gnosticism, that this secret is something that you don't need an outside savior for. All you need is to discover the quote-unquote God within you and that you need to be taught that that is reality. However, 
they do believe that even though you don't need someone outside you, that there are certain enlightened individuals that know these secrets and can pass them on, and they believe that's what Jesus did. The Gospel of Thomas starts out this way. These are the hidden words that the living Jesus spoke, and Didymus, Judas, Thomas wrote them down. In other words, these are just special things for only a a certain group to hear. We'll actually look at more from the Gospel of Thomas in just a few minutes, because I want you to judge them for yourself. I want you to actually see these writings and to hear what they have to say. And let me just say before I share them with you, when I first started studying other religions and the, this Gnostic material, I was a little bit hesitant. I thought, well, what if it really is as good as people say it is? What if it really is like our Gospels? What if it really does tell some some things? that we ought to all believe and I shouldn't have been afraid because when you read these things I think you will be able to obviously tell that this is not from our God that this is from the enemy this is has been put in our world simply to distract, to confuse, to destroy the faith of people. Now, I'm going to read some quotes to you if you're listening on the podcast. Please go to uh, www.bible805.com and you can download longer excerpts. They'll be with the notes, but let's just go to them and let me read some of the passages to you. Now, to start out with, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a passage out of our Bibles. It's from the Gospel of John and And the setting for all of these different things that I'm going to read you out of the Gnostic Gospels, it has to do with uh, sort of the end of Jesus' life and whatever. And let's look at what the true Gospel has to say. Listen to um, Jesus speaking. Listen to how he is described. Listen to what it says about him. And then that will give you a good point of contrast. In chapter 13, starting with verse 13. Uh, This is just before Jesus is going to be crucified. He's at the Last Supper with his disciples, and he has just finished washing his disciples' feet. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And let me just comment here how the picture that Jesus is giving us of how he wants his disciples to act, it's not as some big deal, proud, and, you know, like he said there in Matthew, it's not these big deal doing miracles and all that. He says, you're supposed to be like me. You're supposed to wash one another's feet. You're supposed to be a servant. And he goes on to say, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And Thomas, of course, just says, you know, we don't know where you're going. We don't, you know, all this. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it very clear. It isn't what's in you. It's what's in me that is the way to salvation. And then he goes on to say also, it isn't any special knowledge. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Again, spirituality is not some big knowledge thing. It's Jesus tells us what to do. 
If we do it, we show that we're his followers. It's really fairly simple. But, okay, here we have the true Jesus speaking. But then let's go to the Gospel of Thomas, and I'll read you an excerpt from that. The Gospel of Thomas. These are the secret sayings that the living Jesus spoke, and Didymus, Judas, Thomas recorded. And he said, Whoever discovers the interpretation of these sayings will not taste death. Jesus said, Those who seek will not stop seeking until they find. When they find, they will be disturbed. When they are disturbed, they will marvel and will reign over all. And after they have reigned, they will rest. Jesus said, If your leaders say, Look, the Father's kingdom is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will precede you. If they say it is in the sea, then the fish will precede you. Rather, the Father's kingdom is within you and is outside you. When you know yourselves, then you will be known, and you will understand that you are children of the living father but if you do not know yourselves then you live in poverty and you are the poverty his disciples asked him and said to him do you want us to fast how should we pray should we give to charity what diet should we observe jesus said don't lie and don't do what you hate because all things are disclosed before heaven after all there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed there is nothing covered up that will remain undisclosed jesus said lucky is the lion that the human will eat so that the lion becomes human and foul is the human that the lion will eat and the lion will still become human and jesus said to them if you fast you bring sin upon yourselves if you pray you will be condemned if you give to charity you will harm your spirits obviously jesus didn't say any of those things but um let's go on now to the gospel of mary and it says will matter be destroyed or not the savior said all nature all formations all creatures exist in and with one another and they will be resolved again to their own roots for the nature of matter is resolved into the roots of its own nature alone he who has ears to hear let him hear peter said to him since you have explained everything to us tell us this also what is the sin of the world the Savior said, There is no sin, but it is you who make sin when you do the things that are the nature of adultery, which is called sin. Um, and then it goes on, and Mary is talking, and she says, I saw the Lord in a vision, and I said to him, Lord, I saw you in a vision. He answered and said to me, Blessed are you that do not waver at the sight of me. Where the mind is, there is the treasure. I said to him, Lord, how does he who sees the vision see it, through the soul or through the spirit? The Savior answered and says, He does not see through the soul nor through the spirit, but the mind that is passing between the two, that is the vision, and it is, and then the whole next section is missing out of the manuscript. And then Jesus goes on to say, In an aneon I was released from the world, and in a type from a type, and from the fetter of oblivion, oblivion, which is transient. From this time on, I will attain to the rest of time of the season of the aneon in silence. This whole thing about aneons, that's talked about in a lot of Gnostic literature. It's just these ages and ages and different things. But that's enough of the Gospel of Mary. There's some kind of funny things in it you can you can read later in the excerpt. And then in the Gospel of Judas, um, just one more section. When Jesus observed their lack of understanding, he said to them, Why has this agitation led you to anger? Your God is within you. And uh, then a missing thing, have provoked you to anger within your souls. Let any one of you who is strong enough among human beings bring out the perfect human being and stand before my face. They all said, we have the strength, but their spirits did not dare to stand before him, except for Judas Iscariot. 
He was able to stand before him, but he could not look him in the eyes as he turned his face away. Judas said to him, I know who you are and where you come from. You are from the immortal realm of Barbalo, and I am not worthy, worthy to utter the name of the one who sent you. Then, knowing that Judas was reflecting upon something that was exalted, Jesus said to him, Step away from the others, and I shall tell you the mysteries of the kingdom. It is possible for you to reach it, but you will grieve a great deal. Now, again, you can see just in these excerpts, they are totally, totally different than what is in our Bibles, and obviously completely contradict many of the teachings of our Bibles. They are confusing, and they don't make a lot of logical sense. But I think that even a very casual reading shows that it's an entirely different voice, entirely different underlying teaching and point of view. Remember Jesus said when he was talking about himself as a shepherd, he said the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. And when I read the Gnostic Gospels, I do not hear my Savior's voice. Jesus doesn't play games. He doesn't try to confuse us. Now, why is it so important to understand this about the Gnostic thought and writings? In many ways, it's much more dangerous than those of the Apocrypha. These are, they're sometimes grouped together where people talk about the Apocrypha, books that weren't included in the Old Testament, and the Gnostic Gospels, those that aren't included in the New Testament. But they're very, very different. The Apocrypha might be a little bit odd, and it's not entirely orthodox in everything in it, but the same God is worshipped. The Gnostics, however, preach and teach an entirely different Jesus and Gospel. Their teaching, the teaching of the Gnostics, is, has much more in common with other religions and cults today. The idea that you don't need a savior outside of yourself, that quote-unquote God is within you and that you have the power to tap into it, has always been appealing. Since Satan told Eve that she could become like God if she ate the forbidden fruit. And it's still tempting today. That's why people still go back to the Gospel of Thomas. These different things that talk about awakening this truth within yourself. Now, in contrast to the fanciful sayings of the Gnostic Gospels, a correct New Testament teaches us how to be saved and how to live. In John 20, 30, 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here we have these two passages that tell us that our true Bibles, and that's what's so important, that we have the right text, the right things in our Bible, that this is what enables us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we have life into his name, and that our scriptures have everything that we need for our training in righteousness.
We won't know how to believe or live if we don't have the correct text. But, as I trust you can see from this lesson and the previous ones and the series we've been doing, we do have a historically verifiable, trustworthy text, and our primary application is to read it and to live it. Now, just a summary comparison of the Gnostic Gospels, the New Testament Gospels, and the Gnostic Gospels. The New Testament is based on Old Testament prophecy and theology. It has a consistent message, verified authors, eyewitness accounts. It was written soon after the events. We have hundreds of manuscripts for each book. It's accepted by the church, and it is a reliable source for salvation and growth as a disciple. The Gnostic Gospels, on the other hand, are based on the Gnostic belief system. They're inconsistent, scattered teachings, false authors, no eyewitness accounts, written a hundred or more years after the events, only one to four manuscripts per book. They've been condemned by the Church Fathers, and it is a deceptive source of salvation and spiritual growth. Both of these things, I actually have both of these lists in a chart available to you on Bible805.com. Now, why it's important to understand this lesson. There's so much theology comes from and will come from popular culture. Books, movies, blogs, quotes online. But many of them teach a false Jesus and a false gospel. We cannot become God or find God within. We need a sinless Savior to bridge the gap between us and God or quote-unquote spirituality, we need to ask, where did they get that idea? What are they basing their eternal destiny on? Remind yourself of the sure foundation that you have. Review the materials on this topic, on the whole series, on Bible805.com. There are podcasts, videos, notes, charts, other resources for you. Please share them with the people that you're responsible for and that you teach because so many Christians do not have a solid foundation for why they can trust the Bible, why our Bible and our Bible only is what we need for our our salvation and spiritual growth. Knowing that we have a solid, historical, textual, and archaeological reasons for our beliefs, of course that's not the only thing that matters, but we shouldn't ask for anything less on issues of such immense importance. Learn them for your own peace of mind and also so that you can answer others, as always, with gentleness and respect. And above all, commit to read your Bible daily, obey what it says, and live in such a way that when we meet our Lord, it will be with great joy. I actually have a little bonus application for you with this lesson. If you don't know where to start reading your Bible, I keep telling you, read your Bible, read your Bible, but you don't know where to start, please go to Bible805.com and I've put together a little Bible reading plan. It's a short introduction to the Bible and the Christian life. Now, I strongly recommend that you plan on reading the entire Bible in chronological order, which we're going to be doing in a new way through the podcast 
podcasts and videos on Bible 805 starting in 2023. But a lot of people need something before then. And I've put together this book. I've given it out to people in my church, in my class, some new Christians that I know. And it people have said that it really does help. So go to Bible 805 and sign up for the newsletter that I have also to be updated on additional materials that will help you read the Bible and grow in your Christian life. And that's all for now. Please check out the notes, the charts, all the downloadable and linked material on, again, Bible805.com. And until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to a growing knowledge of God's Word, and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.